Hello and welcome to Watermark's Church Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Tarno, joined by my co-host, John McGee. John, how are we doing? Hey, buddy. Well, today we have two guests. The first one, no stranger to the podcast, Watermark Senior Pastor Todd. How are we doing, Todd? Hey, hey, hey. Glad to be here. Good to be back. All right. And our second guest is the first time on the podcast. It's the former executive pastor here at Watermark, John Cox. John, how are we doing? Oh, it's great to be back. Hey, you know, <laughs> be back. This is your first this time. Your first time. But I love the comfort level. That, yes. That means yes. a lot. Well, just being around the table with you guys, you know, we've, here. we've got a but lot of great But we're getting him at staff prayer on Tuesday. Did you know that? Team, I yeah. did know that. He will be, be there in just another couple of days. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. So if you didn't pick up on that, John is our former uh, executive pastor because John uh, transitioned uh, off of our staff uh, this year and uh, we wore black for a long time. Um, but we are, we are better now. Um, but everything is good. We are friends. The kingdom of God is still moving on. <laughs> and uh, But we, that is the thing that we want to talk about today is this idea of transitions. And it's very real. It's, you know, in any organization, any church is going to deal with this. Uh, so how do you handle that well? What are some best practices? Um, you know, and we'll use you, John, in your story. Uh, you know, if you can kind of help us um, just see through your lens how you how you did this, what you were thinking, what you learned, and uh, and hopefully there'll be some really good uh, transferable principles. Yeah. So, John, why don't you just start off, tell the audience a little bit about your story, maybe what you did before coming on staff here at Watermark, and what your time here looked like. Yeah. Well, I've got a very eclectic background. You know, uh, so going into college, I think I was going to be pre med, and somehow uh, landed in ministry. And so I spent a year at Willow Creek in Chicago and started a church in the northern uh, suburbs of Virginia and then went back to business school, which is just about what every pastor does, don't they? Very normal. Very and, normal. Uh, and so after that, landed in Dallas with a consulting organization called the Boston Consulting Group and spent about five years there and then went to work for a hedge fund here in town. And so was just in the strategic planning group for another five years. And uh, in that process, I actually started coming to Watermark. And so was a volunteer here, was serving here, and um, just having a great time. And so uh, then one day, uh, one of the elders invited me on a trip to Africa. And in the middle of Burundi, um, Todd and that elder just asked if I would ever think about coming on staff here. And so uh, I said I'd pray about it. And about eight weeks later, uh, you know, made that transition. So, Todd, is that a normal recruiting practice for us is taking people on exotic trips to Africa? Yeah, we, I can't tell you how long we have looked for graduates of Harvard Business School that were church planners that had done internships at Willow and had a pre-med background. It, and yeah. uh, of the 4,000 candidates we interviewed like that, <laughs> we found John. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. yeah, yeah, and so, you know, interesting, that was a that was an easy transition here. But what I will say is, you know, I think many people are under the misconception that God is going to give them a 40-year vision for their life. And, um, you know, they're going to get that vision, and then, you know, it's just now they know what they're going to do with their life. And for me, it's never been that way. And so, uh, you know, if you had asked me at any point in my life where I would be in five years from now, I would now be wrong for about 30 consecutive years <laughs> on where I would be. And so uh, with God it, for and me, it's always been much more of the kind of thing is just saying, hey, where am I now? How do I do a good job where I'm at? And then, uh, Lord, you know, I'll do anything you want me to do. You just have to be clear about it. And, uh, and so, um, you know, I know where you want me to go and I know what you want me to do. And uh, that is is not uh, quite as easy as a process to figure out. But I think that for me has just been, hey, what is the next right thing to do? Yeah. So this ask was made in Burundi and you came back to the States and you prayed about it. 
sought some counsel, and then you came on staff when here? What year was that? Yeah, so I, I, they asked me in October of t- t- uh, 2006, okay. and I came on staff just at the beginning of 2007. Great. And so you were here for 10 years, was it? Yeah, a little more than 10 years. That's yeah. great. Todd, do you want to talk just, we want to get to this, the topic, but do you want to talk just about John's role here and the unique time he was, you know, yeah. uh, that he showed up? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 2006 was a pivotal year for us. I mean, I think we look back, we, we celebrate staff in a unique way every five years. And so in 2011, really, uh, 2012, that, that class uh, we looked at and the number of strategic people that joined our team that year, we looked back, we just couldn't believe who got added to our team. And it was a real pivotal time in our church. And honestly, what happened, I mean, you know, I, I, you had mentioned John's name to me, uh, John McGee, I'm pointing at, and um, others did. I kept seeing areas that were flourishing and doing well. And I'd say, why? They go, well, one of the reasons is we've been, you know, meeting with this guy named John Cox, but helped us think, you know, just strategically what we could do next for the mission. And after I heard that about three or four times, I said, I, I need to get to know John Cox. And then, um, you know, this, this trip we went on to teach and train pastors on leadership and conflict resolution in Burundi, part of that was to get to know John a little bit better. And, uh, and we were just at a spot where we really needed somebody. At that time, we didn't have anybody on our staff whose job did, did not involve a weekly something. And, uh, and so John was the first guy we really brought on our team whose job was to make all of us better at our job. And, um, and then also, I think we were also at a place where there needed to be another most senior person that could move the, the ball down the field when I wasn't available or, uh, wasn't in the room. And, the, and then John became that guy. And, and for 10 years, um, people would talk about the way we led Watermark, not the way you know, any one person did. And so uh, John and I could not have worked more closely and he could not be any more responsible for that significant decade uh, of mission that we've shared together. Yeah. feels like it just came like just at the right time. Yeah, you it know? did. Yeah. And uh, everything was trending up and to the right, but it was just like, we just need something, someone to bring some strategic thinking and some organization and, and help train up uh, some of our younger guys. And so uh, it was really fun to watch you do uh, what you did there. And uh, we're still benefiting uh, from that. We're all still friends and, you know, we're here yeah. at the table uh, <laughs> together, but you don't receive your emails at Watermark uh, anymore. You've got a, a new place of employment. So John, let's kind of talk through uh, some of that. And uh, you you kind of gave us three, uh, basically, you know, different, different uh, components of transitioning. And uh, the first one, which is really kind of counterintuitive, is not what you think about when you think about transitioning, but the first one you wanted to talk about was grooming successors. Uh, yeah. So talk about that a little bit. Well, look, I think the job of any leader is to develop other leaders. You know, when you look at the church, um, that's the one thing that if you have more leadership, everything is going to go well. And so if you're a leader, one of the things you're constantly looking to do is say, who are the other people around me who have some leadership potential, who have some giftedness that I can invest my life in? And the idea is, is that you can raise up those leaders and then that will expand your ability to do more things. And so, uh, you know, during the 10 years I was here, that was always priority one for me. Who am I investing my life in that can do what I do? And so the idea is, is, is you're always grooming a successor, trying to develop them so that they can take over some of what you're doing so you can do other things. And, uh, you know, part of that is, is identifying who are those potential leaders. You know, and I think what I'll always say is, is it is not obvious out of the gate who those people are. 
You know, and so uh, one of my great stories at Watermark is uh, when JP, you know, who is our teaching pastor now, was first starting to speak, uh, I actually sat down with the guy who was over him and said, listen, now we don't know if this guy is going to be a good communicator or not. So I want you to keep a close eye on him, right? And he's only turned out to be one of the best communicators in America, you know, along with Todd. And so uh, you just don't know uh, how people are going to pan out. And so part of that is, is just investing in people and then watching how they grow. But the idea is, is, is you want to replace yourself so that if God ever does call you to go do something else, you leave a place better than when you came. And so I think that's the key, which is, you know, I was looking to say, okay, who can do what I can do? And not only that, but, you know, for every senior person we've got on staff, if God was to call them away, who would replace them? Yeah, we talked about that every single I, I was going to say year, but it was more than a year. We every strategic getaway that we had, that was one of the games we played. Uh, who who would replace this person, or who would replace you? Each of the guys at the table, and and sometimes it changed from year to year, and other times we'd see it was the same name, you know, for years running. And uh, and if you didn't have somebody, you weren't doing part of your job. If there wasn't some at least uh, logical connection with the next potential guy, we said, hey, that's that's not great. And so, you know, people, we're not really talking about hiring here, but, you know, we, we spend a lot of time, John, obviously vetting and hiring individuals together. And one of the things that we've seen again and again is that hiring within and promoting within has just so much more success for a multitude of reasons than bringing folks in from the outside. And the only way you can really do that is if you're committed to developing people where you are. And then the other thing I would say is that that's one of the benefits of a growing mission is that there's, I think one of your favorite phrases was, hey, man, this is a place where there's opportunity lying all over the place. Just pick it up and do something with it. And so in a growing organization, it's not like there's a finite number of leadership spots. And so one of the things that we are always doing is asking ourselves, hey, who are we cultivating to be the next generation of senior leaders? And who are the guys that, like you already said, would replace us? Yeah, well, and I think that's a critical point. You know, so many churches are really one-generation churches, and so they don't groom the next generation. And I think, you know, one of the things you've done great, Todd, is just try and say, okay, who are the people who are a generation behind us who will inherit the mantle? And, um, and let's be intentional about developing those people, identifying them, getting them into leadership opportunities so that when God calls us somewhere else and, you know, or it's, our turn is done, we are handing the ball off to someone who can take it the next lap. So does that, when, when you take that opportunity to be intentional with this next generation, does that make your current job easier or does it make it a little bit more challenging? Well, I, I think the answer is both, right? On, on one level, it makes it easier because you've got more people who can help you, you know, so it's the many hands makes light work principle. On the other hand, uh, it can be tougher if you're developing someone because they're not going to do it the way you would do it. And it's going to, you know, there's going to be some frustration at times and there's going to be some coaching involved and you've got to uh, be comfortable that uh, it's going to be less than perfect sometimes. So one of the things we always used to say was if someone can do it at least 80% as well as you can do it, then let them do it, right? And so then that's a good rule of thumb on whether you need to do it or you can hand it off to somebody else. 
<laughs> do you not feel like, Adam, like you're, you're having a moment here? Like, this is what we used to do. We just come by John's office. Hey, John, how do you think about this? Yeah. And there was some little chart, yeah. you know, 80%. Here's how I think about yeah, this. And I've and got all, I would write down all these notes like I am right now, hearing it again for the first time. Yeah, almost. it's really good. You know, and John, I think, too, I, I love that you started with grooming your successors because, you know, you, you transitioned out of the organization. Um, but a lot of times there's transitions that need to happen inside of an organization, but they can't because someone hasn't groomed their successor. And so someone will be really well served in another role, but they can't get there because there's no one to replace them or someone should go up uh, or someone should go sideways, but they can't because they've not done that work of grooming their successors. And so I think you did an amazing job with that. Um, you know, and what's been really fun is, uh, now that you're not in the room, um, so many of your ideas have stuck. And so I think you really have trained up the guys. And so no one plays the game. What would John Cox uh, say or do or think? But many of them know it. And that's really been uh, incredibly helpful as they factor decisions and plan and things like that. So you did you did this well. This isn't just a um, little bullet point on a sheet. We watched you do that. And uh, well, we, our church I, listen, is better. It, it has been said many times. I'm going to channel my inner John Cox here. Yes. And yeah. so, I mean, you know, you know, <laughs> John's left a lasting impression. Any great leader does. But, you know, one of the things that's humbling for all of us that we've got to remember, um, I don't care if you just go away for a long vacation. It can sometimes be humbling to see how well things go when you're gone and how quickly somebody will take your spot, you know, and uh, and in John's case, even fill your office. Yeah. And you start to kind of go, golly, I mean, does that mean I wouldn't really need it around there? And you know, I, I actually shared this last weekend. I was teaching in Acts 20 where Paul talks about he was getting ready to leave Ephesus and he sent for his disciples and he encouraged them. He had guys in place that he'd been pouring into and he had he goes, I know I'm leaving. I'm going to have one last conversation. I talked about the observation that uh, Jim Collins made and Built to Last about the uh, director of Pan Am who um, made it his goal that when he leaves that the airline was going to basically go under because he was going to be such a great leader, he was irreplaceable. And he did. Right, I said, "Hey, who in this room has flown Pan Am?" And nobody under sixty raised their hand. I've, I, eight years old, I think. Okay, well, yeah, good. Yeah. All right, so I, I take that back. You raise your hand. <laughs> so, um, but I mean, the and the difference between a, a, a time teller and a, and a clock or a clock builder, right? Clock builders build instruments that other people can tell time with. Time tellers are always necessary to tell everybody what time it is, and that's the mark of wisdom. Ecclesiastes three. Right? What time is it? And and John, while he was here, didn't only tell time really well, but uh, he taught people and he built clocks that we're still benefiting from. That's great. So if you're going to successfully navigate a transition, it starts long before the transition or the opportunity for a transition even presents itself. You have to start by grooming a successor. And so that's the first component of this. The second one that you talk about often, though, is this idea of, okay, now the transition has presented itself. So how do you process that transition. So how did that work for you? Yeah, well, it all started for me. It was interesting. You know, we had, were on our way back from uh, spring break. You know, so we, I'd taken my family out and we were hiking down to the bottom of the Grand Canyon and the next day hiked out. And uh, that was both a great thing and also uh, one of those family turmoil type situations uh, that many of you are probably familiar with. But uh, my phone rang and uh, it was a friend of mine who's a headhunter and said, hey, would you ever think about returning to investment management? And um, it came out of the blue. And it was just one of those kinds of things where, you know, they, uh, I said, I don't know, you know, wh uh, what's up? 
And uh, then he explained the position to me. And it was interesting because, uh, you know, I think one of the things that, that will really help you make transitions is to know what are you good at and what are you not good at. And you really want to use that as a lens um, to evaluate opportunities. And so, you know, in my instance, uh, one of the things I learned very early on was uh, that I thought I was a much better communicator than I really am. And it wasn't until I started a church, that church in Virginia that I really got a sense for, uh, hey, maybe that wasn't my A gift. And so in my instance, uh, you know, one of the things that I have done is, is that whole strategic thinking, adding leadership, horsepower, um, being strategic in how you approach things. And so uh, the opportunity that was crossing my desk was all of those things. And, um, and so I probably get a half dozen to a dozen calls a year, you know, from headhunters. But uh, this was one that I thought, huh, I wonder about that one. And so I hung up and uh, asked my wife about it. And uh, then the very next thing I did was call Todd. And so, uh, you know, he is not just my boss, but he's a friend of mine. Uh, he's seen uh, where I thrive and where I don't thrive. And um, and so I wanted to loop him into the process right from the Good. outset. Okay, let's hit pause right there. Okay, that's because that's kind of a record scratch moment for many people. <laughs> they just they they just pulled over and that you did what? You called the senior pastor who's going to tell the elders and they're going to know like immediately. Yeah. So Todd, John, like talk us through that because that is not normal. Well, I, I I guess it's not normal because you guys keep telling me that. I I, I mentioned you when we were going to do this that uh, I hear these horror stories about how people start to, uh, at some point, give an indication that there might be an opening in their heart to do something else. The next thing you know, I think what you said, they're, they're you know, computers locked. They can't log on somewhere anymore. And, and Key, I'm like, keys don't work. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I don't even have a, I, I personally don't have a category for that. Okay. What John said, and it's true, is that Todd's my friend. I mean, we, we didn't just work together. We shared life together. And um, that I think is the biblical model. And so this is going to be difficult to translate some of this because there's going to be some people that listen to this that don't share, uh, hope, you know, the environment that I think that John was in. And I was encouraged that I didn't just think that, but that he modeled to me that's exactly the environment I'm in because um, I knew within minutes that this was something that he felt like, you know, he, he took a double look kind of, right? And, and we're not in a covenant marriage relationship in a sense. We took another look at another job. Not like when you're taking a look at another girl, that, that's clearly a problem. We're, we're, that wasn't the situation with us, you know? I mean, we just want to be where God wants us, doing what God wants us to do. Uh, the piece of the story that most people don't know is that the guy that was looking for a person was a good friend of mine. Okay, and I knew his company really, this just really got well. weird. Yeah, <laughs> so um, the headhunter wasn't, and so I don't know if the headhunter knew my relationship with the company that you're currently at, but um, it didn't become long before you did, and I think you knew my relationship at that point as soon as you knew what company it was. And I, listen, John could not have handled this better. So I'm happy to tell you the things that he did. But the first thing he did is he communicated and he trusted me, and he really believed that I had his best interest in mind, and we worked long and hard. We spent weeks, months, months, hours really, really trying to wrestle through, hey, what what's going on here that this even double look makes sense in your heart? Uh, what could we create here that would further cement the next um, 
years of deployment for you. And we together had been working about what was right for Watermark structurally. And so all these things came together at the same time. And I think John and I really trusted each other. We wanted what was best for the mission, best for each other, and uh, best for all the other people that were involved. The, the, the company that wanted him, the other guys on staff that would have to rise up if he left and got to rise up if he left, and what was best for he and Jeannie and his family. And so all those things worked together. And I think we honestly sought the Lord really, really earnestly. And, and I'm not going to lie. We made a case. Hey, here's the reasons why maybe you should stay. And uh, I went back and forth with what's the best thing for my friend. And I, I would take hats on and off and tell him that. It's good. It's good. John, what was that like for you to tell Todd, be, you know, uh, be here and still process something out uh, outside these walls and let everybody know and... Or, you know, t- tell us about well, that. Well, l- listen, I think the first thing I would say is, is uh, I tend not to be a quick decision maker. You know, I tend to mull things over. And, um, you know, especially the important decisions, you want to take time. And so uh, for me, you know, I wanted to loop Todd into that conversation. And so it was just, hey, help me process this to understand what's right given my gifts and given the season that we're in and given the next 10 years, where exactly are we? And, um, you know, one of the things that's a principle of mine when I begin to wrestle through that is, is I think we all have times where there's some discontentment at work, you know, where you're just frustrated or you're bored or you're tired or whatever it is. And, um, you know, one of my golden rules is to try and figure out what is it that's creating that discontentment? You know, because in general, I find that if I am trying to get away from something, then, you know, what I really need to examine is, is, okay, God, what are you trying to teach me? And uh, what I want to do is I want to move toward things, not away from things. And by that, I just simply mean you don't want to move towards opportunities, not away from opportunities. So, you know, if I'm in a job and I'm just frustrated with a job, it may be that God is, is really working on me trying to develop character or skills or abilities. Um, If on the other hand, you know, there's some frustration, but there's this other opportunity and God seems to be opening a door, that's something different. You know, when you're processing these kinds of things, you want to seek counsel. You want to seek counsel from the Bible. You want to seek counsel from godly friends, people that know you well um, and that are familiar with the opportunities. And so, uh, you know, I think people make bad decisions when they get isolated and um, and also, uh, you know, when they're not seeking, hey, God, what do you want me to do in this context? That's really good. You know, um, just a couple of things, uh, just, to, just to highlight here before we move on or transition out. Um, I, I, that Just that phrase, like, uh, I think it was like, why, why would I not tell them? You know, why, wh- what in the world? Uh, these are my friends. They are wise. And so just that culture, whatever you have to do to create uh, that culture, I think is really, really key uh, in your church or whatever whatever you're leading. And I remember asking, uh, it, was, it was on the heels of, of your transition, John, I asked my team, I was like, is there any reason why you wouldn't tell me that you, you know, you got that call that you were um, contemplating uh, a move? Because if, if there is, if there's a reason you'd be hesitant to do that, I want to know so that we can create this culture where we're a team. But we're also we're also a family, and uh, and I think leaders just want to create that where that you're the first person they would want to call, you know, if there's uh, if there's a transition. And then, you know, I think uh, you didn't do this, um, but you want to be careful too. You don't you don't want to be marching into your boss's office uh, every two weeks telling them about the next call uh, that you got to see if so you can somehow use this as leverage, uh, which you didn't do. I've seen that done uh, before. So we're not talking about that. We're talking about legitimate. 
decisions. I think, John, that you said that it'd feel like a, a really good use of giftings and, um, you know, something that we should process and, and think about. This happens occasionally and we're going to communicate as friends who, you know, I think this is key to like, we're building the kingdom, not our own little kingdom. This gets really weird. This gets really personal if we're building our own little kingdom. And so was it sad when you left? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, but it wasn't like the kingdom of God was thwarted and uh, we were excited. And so we weren't worried so much about our own little kingdom. We were worried about the big, uh, the big kingdom of God. And we knew that was, that, that was going to win. And that was a, po- a posture of Todd uh, through all this. It wasn't about his, his own little plans being uh, thwarted. So I think that's really uh, important well, as well. Well, this is one of the things, I mean, this does get into a little bit of, of just managing people. Okay. I mean, Right now, I mean, I believe that my, I'm ultimately going to be held accountable by the way that I participate with the Spirit of God to use people in their giftedness. And my job is not to collect people like trophies. My job is to set folks up for um, them to be maximized for the glory of God. And, you know, one of the things that John and I were working on is that, hey, we feel like we've got to refine his job because as Watermark has changed, as he frankly did a great job of bringing up other leaders, some of what he was doing was being done by others, which created opportunity for him uh, to to do some other things. But while we were figuring that out, I think there is part of the reason why he was receptive to this call. And um, to me, I looked at this like, okay, Lord, you love John Cox. I love John Cox. You love Watermark. You love me. And so this is not going to be a win-lose situation. What we've got to do is, is figure out what's best for John, because what's best for John is eventually going to be best for Watermark and best for me. And I really try to look at it from that perspective. Um, you know, I, I just want to, I, I think this is an opportunity to throw something here that is really great that I read recently. When John was talking about what he was experiencing at work, that not all work is, uh, you know, there's certain aspects to your job. And I read this and it's uh, from our friend Jenny Allen, who does the If Gatherings, a member watermark, and Jenny posted this, and it goes well with our work. This is a little bit off topic, but it's worth uncertain right here. She said this, a lot of my job is outside of my gifting and outside of my happy place. I'm a creative who created, and now I have to do a lot of uncreative work to keep everything healthy and growing. I can hire and delegate and hand off, and I have, and I, have, and I do, and I will. However, as a generation... We are so desperate to find jobs we adore and are perfectly in our sweet spot about, but it's not realistic view of work. So whether it's mothering, medicine, CEO, sales, uh, teaching, ministry, writing, or so on, it's important to remember that toil and work is part of the curse, and it's difficult, and you do the things you don't like because it's right and obedient and holy. And on the days work is fun, smile and celebrate. On the days work isn't fun, don't rethink your whole life. Do the work. And through it, we're becoming more humble and holy. And so I say that because as people are listening to this, they might be thinking they've got to have a transition. And I would just say, hey, whoa, why do you think you need a transition? First of all, if the place that you're at isn't healthy, you got to ask yourself, why isn't it healthy? Why don't I have a trust relationship the way John described with Todd? And what do, can I do to, to establish that? Is it because there's some parts of your job you don't like? Well, all jobs have that. John didn't leave because he was bored and there were parts of his job he didn't like. Okay, I think if you're feeling that way, you need to start to work and deal with those things. And you heard John say that he always did that when he was in a position where like if things aren't clicking, he goes, okay, what do I got to do to figure this thing out? And we had those conversations all along. Um, Sometimes transitions happen because you have such a good relationship with your boss. You keep talking about how things are not operating the way they should. And then together you come and go, hey, this is the job that's necessary 
It's not the job you really feel called to do. And then we work together towards that, that proper transition. In John's case, it was, it was a little bit different. But the thing that he did that was so great um, is that he did. He communicated early and often with me. And I can't, I, I just can't emphasize enough how important that is. To, to maintain that trust. And I would ask him and I would, I mean, I had conversations with the company that he went to. Like I told you, that guy was a friend of mine. And I sat with him. I said, you need to know this about John. The worst thing that you could do is bring him on your team unless you were really going to let him lead. Okay. Because this guy is, um, he is not an executor alone. I mean, he is a, he's a visionary uh, leader and a thinker, and he wants to contribute. And if you're not ready to make room for him, if all you want him to do is to execute, then you're not getting the right guy. Uh, and so I, I, for John's sake, went and almost interviewed his friend or this, this potential of the job. And, uh, and so I, I just, I could do that because of my relationship, but also because I really did deeply care about him. Yeah, that's good. Maybe as much as anything tactical, um, just that kind of culture that's created, you know, that you guys created here uh, is a takeaway for, for a lot of leaders. So, John, any, anything else? Or, yeah, yeah, I think I would just say, uh, you know, th- th- if you're going to create that culture, it starts long before someone gets a call with another opportunity. And uh, that is really something that you've got to create from day one so that there is a, a level of trust there and um, and that you're modeling that, hey, this is a safe environment to really process ideas like that. And I think, and I'll, I'll just say, because people might be listening, I would be, I'm thinking, okay, well, how do I do that, right? One of the ways you do that is uh, is just, I would say, constant feedback. And I would also say, especially, you know, John, you were better at this than I was, okay, is is just the way every year we really did a deep dive into how everybody's performance was. We told them areas to strengthen and areas that were strong and uh, what was working and what needed work. And, and so I think just really, really good feedback. And the way you establish trust is that that person sees that you want to see them prosper, not that you want to see them in a job. Okay. Therefore, when you come to them and look, I mean, the other little dirty secret about this whole little podcast we're doing is John, you and I went through the exact same thing for a year before John did. And, uh, that one had a different ending where you're still on the team and in a role that, um, I stayed cause I thought John was going to stay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think you asked that. Uh, no, but I mean, I, honestly, we went through the same process together. And so, um, and I couldn't have been more excited about the fact that, listen, if you, I will say this, if all, if nobody on your team is being pursued, then you probably don't have the team you think you have or need to have. And so you, you just need to uh, realize great teams. I mean, you, you look at Bill Belichick's staff is going to have its offensive coordinator and defensive coordinator picked off and uh, his GM or the teams are going to want. And so if you've got a good team, don't be surprised that folks are you know, going to come to court them. I think what you've got to build into your team is, hey, are you right now? I ask people this long before somebody is, is pursuing them. I just say, hey, listen, what could make your job more life-giving to you right now? Okay, because if folks leave, like John said, I want them to leave because they're going to something that God just irresistibly has drawn them to, not because uh, they're bored to death or underutilized where they are. If they're underutilized where they are, then they should have made a transition before somebody came a knocking on them. And that's on, on you as a leader. That's great. All right. So, John, grooming, tra- uh, excuse me, grooming successors, processing transitions. And so, this last aspect of this last component of staff transitions you talk about is finishing well. So uh, talk about that a little bit and how you really tried. After you had made the decisions that you you were going to leave, how did you make sure that you finished well? 
Well, I think, you know, as soon as I made that decision, Todd was really the first person I called. So, you know, it started there with just saying, hey, I, you know, I think this is what God wants me to do. He's confirmed it. Um, you know, so I'm making this decision and I want you to be the first person to know. And now I want to really talk about how I leave well. You know, one of the, the fundamental things that we always talk about is, is the way you leave is the way you're remembered. And so you want to leave really, really well. And so for me, that involves starting the conversation with Todd that says, hey, let's talk about what it means to leave well in very specific ways. You know, what do I need to get done? You know, by this time I'm going to leave so that, you know, let's create a list of everything that I need to hand off well so that when I walk out the door the last day, um, you feel like, hey, he did this transition as well as he could. When you're thinking about finishing well, right, you really are trying to create a list that says, hey, I want to hand this off as well as I can so that when I walk out the door, the way I'm remembered is, you know, I'm remembered well. Um, But I think there's another part of that as well is, you know, so many people tie up their identities and their jobs. And they mix those things up, you know, not understanding that, hey, I am a child of God who also has a job, but I am not my job. And, uh, you know, I think there are sometimes people that draw their significance and their meaning from what they do. And when that happens, uh, you, you can really set yourself up for a fall because if work is not going well, then that reflects on who you are. And uh, so, you know, one of my uh, – another one of my phrases is I've watched people leave organizations and, uh, you know, their identity has been so wrapped up in what their job title was that when they left and no, their phone was no longer ringing, people were no longer pursuing them, um, it really upended their world. And so there's a verse that uh, is a favorite of mine. It comes out of Ecclesiastes 1.11 and it just says, there is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. So that's just a humility, um, a sense of humility dose, uh, that that's what happens when you leave. And so don't expect when you leave that your phone's going to be ringing. Yeah, I mean, all, all I would just say is re-listen to that part of the podcast, okay? <laughs> because because that is easy to agree to uh, in, in a sense too. But you got to really ask yourself, hey, am I going to be okay if I realize that I transition and, and the organization that I love and don't want to suffer doesn't suffer, in fact, maybe thrives because part of God's transitioning me somewhere else is to bring it up to where it can go to a place it wouldn't go had I stayed. And I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know, man. It, 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 I, I will tell you this. The humility that John Cox showed through this whole process is what people need to em- emulate. And, um, and what you hear um, – in him is there are biblical truths that informed his ability to trust God in the midst of this, right? Don't isolate. That's Proverbs 18.1. You just heard him quote from Ecclesiastes right there. And I mean, it was great for us. We, we you know, I, the, the phone is near and we can call John, but John has done an amazing job here where we do say, hey, listen, this is what we know John would say if he was in this room right now. And um, so I just, I would just tell you, go back and hit rewind, you know, the last 10 minutes and listen to what John said in that little window right there, because that, that is a magic, not just to transitioning well for the organization, but transitioning well for your own heart and uh, your own personal, uh, you know, frankly, walk with the Lord, which is even more important than your job. Which really goes back to the very first thing you said with grooming successors. I mean, if you're going to, if you're going to have that mindset of grooming successors, you have to have a completely different outlook and change your perspective on leadership and what success is and understanding that when you leave and your phone isn't ringing and things are doing better, 
that's a win. Well, like, I, I, I did it well. Yeah, and I'm going to just say this real quick because, you know, I, even with, like with me in my role and letting other people teach, okay, when if, if I let guys teach that I know are, you know, single A and double A ball players, okay, then no one's ever going to uh, want them to come at bat again, right? But if you get guys that go, these guys should be in the big leagues, these guys have talents, maybe that you don't even have. Okay, then it's going to go from people being like, you know, calling the church to saying, hey, is Todd teaching to uh, is, is Todd teaching, you know, and if you if that makes you uncomfortable, then I, I, I guess uh, it maybe should make you uncomfortable. I, I will insert this right here. So many guys, I think we said this in another podcast somewhere. We say, God, I want you to change the city. And what we really mean is I want you to change the city with me. And, and I think a lot of us in our jobs sometimes are like, Lord, I want to honor you in my role. And I think what we really mean is I want this role to be an honor to you as long as I'm in it. And that's not healthy. It's not good for you. And it's not good for the role and the future of the organization. So good. So good. You guys are like so nice and so godly. Um, but Todd, like, did that not feel personal? When uh, when John left? Well, look, I mean, part of it was John and I, again, we're having these conversations all the time. And and I don't mind telling you, and, and, and John would chime in, that we knew that uh, 2016 was not the same as 2006 to 2015. I mean, I, we both knew, hey, we've got to get John back in his sweet spot where he's throwing off um, all the um, – just all the life and productivity that he always had. And not only that, but I mean, I could see it on him. I mean, John, you know, it wasn't like we were uh, looking to compensate him any differently or celebrate him any differently, but, but we all as men were designed for greatness. Okay. We've been given gifts for a purpose. And as we, John and I, and others around us, as the organization grew, that included multiple campuses for us. That meant the ascension of campus pastors. He's already mentioned how another guy on our staff jumped up and became a part of meetings that just John and I previously had been in. And so the roles changed. And as the roles changed, each of us needed to change within it. And so the reason it didn't seem personal other than um, it was maybe frustrating because you don't like to not get to go to war with the guys you go to war with. But that's where you just got to keep on going and laying it down and go, Lord, you you got, you got better ideas than I do. This is not about um, about me. And I think what I always, I always say and I have to remind myself of continually is changing something doesn't mean that what was was broken. It just means that there's a better way to do it in the future. And I think what we all really saw was there's going to be a better way to do this in the future. And then it became a matter of, John, we think this is the best next deployment for you. And at the exact same time, God raised up an opportunity that was going to be good for his family. That I, One of the things I told John, I think this other organization needs you right now more than we do. But a year from now, we're going to miss you more than, uh, than they would. And so we, and we talked through that. Okay. And we counted the cost of that. But I just said, John, I get why that makes your heart race. And, and I go, and they, they need you. I see your gifts fitting really, really well over there. Now here's the position. Okay. That I think is coming here. That's going to be from 2017 to 2027, what 2006 to 2016 was for you here. And we, we got to walk through all that together. So I didn't take it personally. I just took it seriously.
Yeah. And I, you know, one other thing I think I would say is, so now I'm about three or four months into this transition. And uh, if you are ever looking to make a transition and you're running away from stuff or you, you know, you see the problems in your current situation, but you don't see them in the new organization, look, as great as the next opportunity might be, there's issues there as well. So when you make a transition, you're exchanging one set of issues for another set of issues. And they might be different issues, but there will be issues. And if you don't understand that, uh, you're setting yourself up for disappointment. As you used to always say, you pick your problems. Yes, right? you're gonna. Yeah, there's always problems. the The good thing about choices is you get to choose which problems you want to live with. Yeah, but but I think what he's really telling people is don't have this uh, illusion. I mean, even couples that we've got in our our, our body that are are remarried now that have made the tragic decision to leave their first spouse and now have remarried. You hear this all the time. Hey, the things I needed to do to make this, the things I am doing that makes this new relationship work are the things I needed to do to make that first relationship work. And what John just slid in right there to you is if you think you're going to be leaving a, a thorn uh, bush to go over to where the roses are, you need to know all rose bushes have thorns and don't be deluded by the uh, initial, you know, aroma of, of the new spring flower over here because there's thorns there as well. And you've got to be an individual that learns to live in the thorns. You got to have a little bit of brer rabbit in you. Uh, Otherwise, you're going to be bouncing around all the time. And so one of the things that I can tell you is I didn't take it personally for this reason. I didn't think it was personal. And, um, and if it was personal, okay, I needed to learn that anyway. And so it, I wouldn't have been offended. I'd have been helped, okay? But John and I were talking all the time. And, I, I, you know, I mean, I, I had to ask his forgiveness. There were a few times he just felt like, you know, our relationship even had gotten a little sloppy because— I wasn't doing the great job of communicating that I like to pride myself in. And I didn't take that personally. I just realized I had personally not done my best. But uh, we worked through that stuff for 10 years. And, uh, and, and so I, I, I think what John just said in that last little bit, man, I hope people are still with us, is make sure you deal with stuff here because that's what's going to make you successful in dealing with stuff wherever you go because there's always stuff. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, the last thing I would say about that is, is it's, it is like a marriage. Yeah. And, um, and the, you know, what I would say is, is it's easy to have a mediocre marriage, right? It doesn't take a lot of work to have a, a mediocre marriage. It's hard to have a great ma- marriage. And so uh, that's true in your working relationship with your boss and your, you know, the people that, that are around you. Um, it takes work if you want to have great relationships. Yeah. Well, I, I could give you all kinds of ways. You know, and, and you want a good podcast, do one with what how, about how to work with somebody. One of the things that John Cox did in working with me, uh, that's a whole nother podcast, is how to work well with somebody who's not like you. And, uh, and he is an expert on that topic. So there's a tease for a future podcast. That's great. Well, John, thank you so much for being here today. These three things, these three components to navigating transitions, the grooming successors, processing, and finishing well. Thank you so much for sharing uh, your story with us today. Uh, John McGee, any final thoughts yeah, before we so wrap up? This, this was all couched in uh, church staffing language, but the same rules apply uh, in ministries. And so if you are involved in some ministry, one of your key leaders is going to say, I think I'll be better deployed somewhere else. And everything we just said uh, applies there. And then, uh, you know, guys, this is a really beautiful story and it could have ended so different. You know, you could have called John or John, you could have called Todd from the Grand Canyon and he could have said, hey, you know, your stuff will be... Uh, 
uh, kind of on your curb when you when you get back. But take as long as you want on vacation because we're not having you. Uh, but instead, a story generally is so different. And instead, I feel like God gets so much glory. Uh, the kingdom the kingdom wins, and everybody is using their gifts in ways that gives them uh, a lot of joy and a lot of life. And I think God uh, a lot of glory. So way to go, both of you, John. Thanks for being here with us. We really hold you in high regard, and it's always great to be at the table. Well, with it's you. always great to see friends. Amen. Well, good. Well, if you have any questions or comments on today's episode, feel free to contact us via email. We can be reached at clp at watermark.org. Thank you so much for listening, and we'll talk again next time.